Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen to the podcast today. This episode is airing on the 16th of August 2021 and in Melbourne there are murmurings of this lockdown 6.0 extending for another two weeks. So if you haven't heard that and you're in Melbourne, I apologize for being the bearer of bad news, but yeah, we're certainly being prepared in the media. New South Wales has now gone into a full state lockdown and we are all in it together at this point. So based on that, I don't really have a lot to report. I'm not doing a whole heap. Remote teaching, trying to do some exercise or my clothes are feeling a little bit tight after being in this lockdown. I don't know about you, but I think in lockdown 2.0 in Victoria, I had some pretty good routines going. I went out and walked most days because there was literally nothing to do, like parks were closed and it was very, very restrictive. Whereas, I don't know, this time, and I found my husband too, like the minute that lockdown is announced – we just go straight for the junk food and the alcohol at this point. Like we bring wine into the house and chips and rubbish and just making really bad choices. And so, yeah, I'm finding each lockdown, we're kind of going further and further into the abyss of not caring about our health or something. So anyway, I'm trying to turn that around. It is really helpful now that the days are getting a bit longer and a bit warmer and the sun is coming out. And so, You know, I do tend to spend a bit of time outside with the kids anyway, but I'm trying to build in some time that is for me outside that's alone and exercising rather than stopping and picking up rocks and all the things you do when you've got little kids. Anyway, I have Hunter Hansen on and his Instagram handle is at the Life Autistic. He also has a YouTube channel. I knew when I started the podcast that I wanted to learn more about neurodiversity And originally who I invited on were experts or people that spoke about how to support individuals with autism or neurodiverse students. But this is now my second interview with somebody who is actually on the autism spectrum. And I'm finding that just speaking to people that have the experience of viewing the world through this particular lens, through a neurodiverse lens, is honestly much more helpful than I'm finding experts because at the end of the day experts can filter through experiences but it's only those people that live that every day that can sort of speak from a more genuine and honest and authentic perspective and so I've really enjoyed this hunter has a real way with words I don't even know why considering he's in the US and it was ultimately summer at the time but there was some sort of flash flooding or something while we were recording and he had to leave the podcast so it's only a 45 minute one I would have chatted to him for ages because he is so helpful and really generous in terms of supporting both neurodiverse and neurotypical people in understanding life and the struggles and ultimately the solutions that he has found that help him. And I don't want to take up any more of your time. All I would like 
to ask is if you enjoy the podcast, please share it. Tag me at Educating Laura and Hunter at The Life Autistic. If you would like to support the podcast, feel free to buy me a virtual coffee. The link is in the show notes. Otherwise, sit back, enjoy, and I'll see you in two weeks. Hello, Hunter. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? Good. I've been so excited to have this conversation and you've been one of those people that I've been watching for a long time with the Instagram and the YouTube. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to ask if we can have a chat. And I was kind of just crossing my fingers because what you're doing online is so impressive and amazing. And I've just seen your following grow so significantly since I started following you. And I'd like to start by talking about your childhood and what it was like for you growing up? Oh my goodness. Itinerant and, and strange. Uh, I shared this in a, in a different, different venue, but I, outside of the autism bit, my childhood was interesting in that, you know, being a, a military kid, we, we moved around cross country, moved houses almost every year, lived abroad. I had four younger siblings. So just on that dynamic alone of, you know, splitting your time between the United States and Iceland as an American citizen, and then just having to deal with different sibling dynamics, like, you know, being the oldest and best of two younger brothers, and then being old enough to remember and engage when having two sisters born as well. So I, you know what, it was good. I I think it's rare among a lot of autistic people to look back and think, you know what, life was a little strange. My childhood was odd and fraught with misunderstandings, quirks, oddities, and things of that sort. But it was memorable. Uh, There's a lot of fun things I remember, things we did, fights my brothers and I had, special interests that I got to enjoy, you know, to, to reasonable extents. But I mean, you know, just like every other kid who, you know, grew up abroad and moved houses every year and had four younger siblings. I mean, it was it was my normal. And even though I was atypical and very not normal compared to my siblings, you know, I I enjoyed it. It was especially not knowing I was autistic. You know, even still, I found a way to manage and be appreciated for a lot of my strengths more than maligned for a lot of my differences. It's really interesting that you bring this up because the two videos, YouTube videos that I've watched that have made probably the biggest impact on me as a neurotypical person was one where you have a conversation with your parents and you reflect on your childhood and what it was like to parent you ultimately. And the other one you had was looking at school systems and which one you liked, which ones you didn't like. And they, for me, were obviously really interesting as a teacher and educator and Mentioned the fact that you didn't know you were autistic and that you moved around a lot. Now, as an educator of autistic individuals in, in government schools, mm-hmm. I've been told you need to ensure that there's routine, you need to ensure that there there is an understanding of what is going to come next, and I think a military life wouldn't necessarily serve that. So yeah. can you speak to that? It's interesting you mentioned, like, I'll kind of I'll kind of walk more in the, the school dynamic because I... I forget to whom I recounted the story recently, but I remember thriving in a very self-paced environment when mm. when it could be permitted. Um, I was doing some other research and they were talking about like group projects. And I just by dint of circumstance, I did not get involved in 
a lot of group projects. And I think if I did, the group realized if we just let Hunter do all the work, he'll probably be happier because then he doesn't have to be part of the group and doesn't care who gets the credit. He'll just be able to do what he wants and and that's okay. Yeah. He doesn't need us. That may have papered over a lot of like the collaborative dynamics that I just bypassed. Mm-hmm. I think in a weird example, again, kind of going back to my parents, they my mom was an, she was an OR nurse. So they had like a visit your parents at work day. And I know I'm going off on a tangent, but I will loop back to school systems. And it was, you know, <laughs> you were, we were working to extract and put like raisins in a cup and have that imitate like operating on a patient. And I think I shooed the other kids away. I'm like, you're not holding the <laughs> camera right. You're not doing this. I'm like, get lost. Uh, let me just handle both. Yeah. And you know, my mom, my dad, and the other doctors are like, oh, this kid, we've got a job for him if he wants to go to medical school. Like I just, because I had enough high performing like talent in specific things I was passionate and really driven about, they didn't care that I didn't play along well with others. And I realized that, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, later in life, sometimes your, your talent's going to run out. I'm in a very demanding job where my talent often hits a ceiling and I've had to adapt by, you know, asking for help. But the school thing, I think where I really thrived was when I was given given a certain reward loop for performance in independence. And it was granted, this was a very non-traditional like school that I went to from, I would say my sixth grade to my eighth grade years, which was meshed with homeschool. And it was almost like they'd made a deal to where Hunter, if you just ace all your schoolwork and don't struggle, do it on your terms. Just don't make a fuss mm. in class, you know? And I understand that depending on one's support needs and capacity with you know the autistic experience that works for some but it doesn't work for all i was usually good enough to get by on everything but when it came time to maths that's when i ground to a halt that's when i got frustrated because i had to learn differently i had to slow down and almost be tutored in that aspect but if it was anything else it's like i couldn't i couldn't stand being kept at a pace of a class that just couldn't memorize everything that they read like come on how is this hard like it's in bold print you just remember like i didn't study in college i just remembered what i needed to like i couldn't explain how to study it's like what is it you just like you actually read things over and over and take notes instead of just reading it once and remembering it and then spitting it back out on a test like is that like how does your brain work why does it not work like mine and i Yeah. So very different, but again, it's, you know, I'm autistic and different in my own way. There were things that benefited me as long as, you know, I was given the leeway to excel, but also, you know, be held accountable for where I, I was not the best, like maths, especially (laughs) not my strongest suit. And that's when that's when it's like, okay, Hunter's got to stay with the rest of the class and behave like a quote normal student, more or less. I feel like, that wouldn't be a typical situation though. You said you had that from year (laughs) six to year eight and that worked for you. So my understanding is most schools would want you to move with the class, to be inclusive, to be collaborative. Yeah. How did that impact you when you had to perform in those ways? I think knowing that I I could find ways to um, bypass a lot of that and again, moving to like a way, a much more independent curriculum probably it probably hindered a little bit of my early development in i don't want to say working in groups but just structurally understanding like where you can contribute individually as part of a greater whole i i will say that i probably lacked in a lot of that and where i had to recoup it was like professionally 
and kind of having more mm. pro um, professional directives on, hey, like you're all going to work in a group, but here's the specifics of where you can contribute. Sometimes those were given. Mm. Other times I realized I need to do, I need to make these specifics. Like I would jump in and say, I don't need to lead it, but I'd be happy to do this part of this process what are you all comfortable doing? Like whether you want to talk out mm. an idea, like I think by the, the way I almost work collaboratively now is just kind of a trial and error of what is my contribution? And, mm. and I just confine myself to that. And then if it's, Hey, I need to talk with others and rehearse it. Cool. It's all, it's all pretty well measured, even though it involves others. I think if I were to revisit my school experience I would love that front-loaded justification to where it's not learning to collaborate for collaboration's sake. It's, hey, you have spe specific directives, but you can't do all aspects of this yourself. You're going to find where you mm. can add this one part. You know, your peer here is going to do something else. And I think finding engaging examples of where it works in the real world. Um, I say the real world. Um, like Ratatouille, the Pixar film, actually illustrates yeah, yeah. very well with the kitchen outline. And I love looking at that as they're all a team with separate yeah. responsibilities and one leads to another. And like, there's a certain sequence, but they do all work collaboratively. There is some overlap. There is some help. And I think framing it with like a front loaded perspective of, Oh, this yeah. is what it looks like. This is how it's done. And here's where I can still kind of do my thing and be part of a team. I think that would have helped me a lot earlier on. So I didn't have to, you know, fumble around <laughs> professionally and later yeah. in life, figuring out how to work with others. So those boundaries and those clear directives, as you say, understanding exactly yeah. what your role is. Yeah. I love that. that. That's really good insight, actually. And I think a lot of kids would probably really appreciate having that clear role in a group. And it also stops one person from doing everything as yeah. well, which you tend to get in group work. And the other kids just put their name on it. That... <laughs> Oh yeah. It's uh, like, I've seen that in projects. I've seen that in school. I think it's more of, I'm very hesitant to use like puzzle piece, autism thing, but I think it is more of you are piecing together a puzzle when it comes to a collaborative effort. Like these all go together, but it's going to fit a certain way rather than like mixing, I don't know, soup or drink mix or something. So I, mm. I do find that like when my role in a group, is more specifically yeah. defined that almost makes the contributions that much better like we don't need hunter until we need mm. this and then hunter you can shine you can still be individual and feel like this yeah. affects here or hunter if you need help what do you need from us and if you need something here's who can help you and again i like i said i, I without divulging too much work stuff i feel like i had to find a lot of that out because of the way it practically worked out. And I think really emulating like where you contribute, who can help you, who doesn't need to help you when you need to reach out and who may reach out to you for things. It's like, I know exactly yeah. where I fit in this system. And then it's less working collaboratively and more, hey, I'm doing my work and it's contributing to this goal. And I have other people also contributing as well. So this is a good thought. Like I Like this would have been fun to do like back when I was still learning and not just you know, blindly figuring things out as an adult. And I think that, to be fair, that's what your YouTube channel and Instagram and everything you put out there is allowing for people because you have kind of learnt the lessons, you've got the strategies, and now you're allowing other people to take those on without necessarily having to do all that messy work, which is pretty generous if yeah. you think about it that way. 
it's like I've it's like I've made the yeah. mistake, so you don't have yeah. to. You know? And that's like I've I've had my share, and I'm happy to share that because that's usually most of what I share. You know. You also mentioned that you didn't know you were autistic, so I'd love to know about the diagnosis process and when you were diagnosed, and whether you would have liked to have known earlier. That's an interesting one because I I kind of refer to it as more of like a like a discovery because I remember mm. more of how that conversation went. I. I don't know to what extent it would have helped me had mm. I known earlier. It would have helped answer and define a lot of the questions like, why does it seem like I can't make friends? Mm. Why did, Why am I the only one who talks like an adult among teenage peers? And, mm-hmm. you know, like, why, why am I obsessed with, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? Like, it would help <laughs> answer like, oh, this is why. It really wouldn't have changed a lot of who I was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, whether my parents or my family were as equipped with the kind of support services that would have, you know, would have helped. I think there were some practical things that could have pivoted a different way that would have really existed outside of autism in general. Like, hey, Hunter, let's go find you a chess club, you know, mm. to where you can make friends with other people who share similar interests or have similar interests that might have not even been an autistic thing. So I kind of rehash a little bit of that. As far as that conversation, those, it was honestly, it was one of those pre dinner kind of things. I'd already had a job (laughs) was 16 years old and having a job is kind of a rare thing. in you know, American culture, like especially full time, I had graduated school, you know, I got done early and. Wow. um, 16 years graduated school. What time, when do you usually graduate school in the U.S.? Is it not 18? Like 17, 17, 18. But okay. yeah, I remember Remember, I finished like my schoolwork because it was an independent, very different curriculum, self-paced, and it really benefited autistic, autodidactical children who could just plow through it. And I remember yeah. asking my boss, like, hey, I'm done with school. Can you bump up my hours from 20 to 40? Yeah, sure, Hunter. I'm like, okay, that was it. Happy graduation, you know, top of my <laughs> class. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Yeah, but but it was one of those like where I the discovery conversation was more like my mom in the middle of another like I don't know whether it was a differential diagnosis or something and it was essentially other children being diagnosed and my mom's like that's my son like I wasn't mm. present there but it was more of like my son literally fits all these diagnostic criteria you mean that this has a name and it was you know the Aspergers or whatever that they called it at the time and like that was that's kind of when it all clicked into place that this, this autism had a name that, Mm. you know, it isn't, it's a name I don't really use anymore, but it was more like the one time where I felt like this, this defined a lot of the why, Mm. not necessarily the who. And I, I don't like, this is one season that I don't talk about much in my life. I don't really cover a lot about my, you know, post high school and college and early career years, because I, I wanted to mask it, I wanted to bury it and just kind of personify my way out of it and grow out of it and think like, you know what, I can, I can rewire this to where I am unaffected and not autistic, only to find that, you know, the reason I'm doing this now is because I'm, I'm undoing that. And, you know, (laughs) so I'm trying not to give a lesson in like how to mask your way through your early adult life. But yeah, so it's interesting what it set off. That may be another conversation for another episode, but that's yeah. that's the long and the short of it. Yeah, so I had an ex-student on who was diagnosed at 18, and I asked a similar question about would you have liked to have known earlier, would early intervention have helped? And she said, well, not really because yeah. exactly that it didn't define me at all. Like 
I am who I am. The why is interesting and I needed yeah. to get to that at a time that I was interested in the why, not everybody else was interested in the why. And I thought that was a really interesting take on it because I think in education we're so quick to diagnose, we're so quick to get the information and the label. And for her it yeah. wasn't that important and she has gone through that process and is going through that process now. But I heard the same for you that at the end of the day the why wouldn't have changed the who anyway. Yeah. There's so many what ifs that you can really trace back and and project ahead. I think my parents had a better understanding earlier, like I, just because you knew I was autistic at three, four, seven, the only things that really would have changed would have been, hey, my parents insisted or my family did this or I was encouraged to do more of X. And it's, I mean, that's impossible to say. Sometimes like even not knowing may have you know, permitted me to discover certain passions or certain interests or form a little bit more of my story that led to who I was, you know, I, and it's like interesting to think where, you know, I look at undiagnosed and later diagnosed people to where like, I, I don't know what it's like to live as an adult and figure things out organically. I don't feel like this, but I think my strong sense of difference and independence I didn't know where that was moored from. All I know is that I wanted to be an adult and I wanted to be grown up and I felt like it. And I, you know, I I moved out at 16. Like I went to college and that was the last time I lived with my parents. You know, Mm. I joke that they have lived with me for longer periods of time than I've lived with them (laughs) since 16. It's not, not necessarily true, but they do stay at my place more than I stay at theirs now. And, you know, but I think had I known I was autistic, how would that have framed my own self? Would I have had the same thought about me being independent? Would I have mm. been more concerned about my life, my professional career accommodations? I didn't ask mm. for any. It's like, I didn't know. But I like going into fatherhood, though, it was like my wife and I waited five years after we were married for you know various reasons. But one of my fears was look, I'm autistic. What's it going to be like, you know, having autistic Mm. kids? Am I going to be able to handle this as a parent? And it's like, had I Mm. not known, there would be different, you know, there may have been a little more normal pre-parent stressors or not. So it, it ends up in this just index of what could have been possibilities. I, I think there's a, a what if, but I look more as um, like, what is like, what is, is where I'm at and what next? You know, and that's given me some great peace to just, I can't, I can't predict the past. I can't predict the future, but I can definitely take some actions knowing what I know now and trying to do even better. I think that's very liberating for people that either are diagnosed late or are diagnosed early. I think, you know, either way you can make the best of it. And I think that's important rather than, as you say, wondering what it could have been just moving forward is really important. Yeah. I think that's a really great message. I'd love to know what, life was like before I discovered you on the life autistic what was going on before you created that YouTube channel boy yeah it's interesting to think those were some those are some interesting years you know and this was my early early 20s mm-hmm. and I had I'd moved to Colorado uh, about 2008 so I was still kind of forming my identity as being an independent person trying to eke out a career married in 2009 so you know, really negotiating the process of being, you know, like an apartment dweller to a homeowner to, you know, advancing in my career and to fatherhood. 
I was a lot fatter back then. Okay. <laughs> it's like the one thing I do wish I was, had, I, I just wish I'd gotten into fitness a little sooner. So I, uh, I could build up that old man strength and which is, you know, I need it. I have three daughters. Um, mm-hmm. They're heavy. <laughs> they, they, they're rough. Yeah. So I, I would say that it is, it was typified by like one, one element was really like exciting, which was, you know, a little bit of career advancement um, the excitement of just, you know, kind of entering fatherhood and home ownership, which felt like really grown up things. Mm. The other side of it felt like an inner war and trying to find identity. Mm. It's rare, but a lot of it, you know, a lot of what I tried to create was as a product of skill. And I, I had a, like, if you go to my blog, you'll notice like in the ether, it's actually a writing blog. I had accounts mm. that were mainly devoted more to writing. I, I've written two novels. I've gotten neither of them published. I've queried agents. I've gotten close to getting represented, you know, and I felt a lot of, you know, propulsion, but dissatisfaction because I kept trying to do so much to create and to just do things, you know, and a lot of that still echoes. Like I'm still somewhat disappointed because I can I can hide behind a lot of writing. You know, my blog is great, mm. but it's not like I have a hundred thousand people view it. It's still about me, but it's like I still can hide behind the fact that I'm I'm actually a really great writer. It's one of the few things I'll brag about. But a lot of people see the skill and the flourish, and they don't see the hunter. So, yeah. but before that, it was just like a it was a convergence of doing all these things, but then realizing like I am. I'm not happy. Mm. I am running into roadblocks for being me. Like mm. I joke that my, my work persona, like I, they, they call me H2 affectionately, you know, and I've gone with it. Like that's my email. That's my signature. It's pretty yeah. cool. But that almost became like the persona through which I operated where yeah. I was the life of meetings, the, you know, the most gregarious at parties without realizing that Hunter, this is actually, masking and projecting through autistic attributes and no wonder it was burning me out and cratering me and it wasn't until it was after my second child was born had some maternity or not maternity uh paternity leave pauses <laughs> yay yeah. thank you you know corporate benefit there that it just kind of it like folded in like i was just realizing like i like what am i doing mm. like i am doing so many things and it's not bringing me joy and i needed a reckoning and i needed an outlet and i decided to just be brave and say all right, I'm going to fess up that I'm the hunter, you know, is, is autistic. And I'm just going to share my life experience being autistic, what it's like, what I, how I grew up, the thing I was trying so desperately to hide and suppress. What if I just blow the lid off on that? Yeah. And just talk to people about, Hey, I don't use big words cause I'm a smart ass. I mean, I'm, I, I do other things cause I'm a smart ass, but the big <laughs> words part, like it's not, it's not for that. It's cause I'm autistic and I have certain attachments to certain words and it's an interest of mine. And I like to communicate. I, I struggle with these things and, and this is why, and here's why I do these weird flappy things. And here's why I was really annoying as a kid. And here's why, you know, I might be really exciting in meetings, but then won't talk to you for the next two hours. Cause I'm just burned out. And I yeah. just needed to, need to come clean with it and yeah shoot that was 2018 with the blog and then youtube later and hey now we're now we're here (laughs) so just talking about what life is like i'm not an educator i'm Mm. i don't have my phd in autism i'm just sharing like hey this is how autistic adults live and in my case how how i live i think storytelling and personal storytelling is incredibly powerful though that to me gets me more than an academic article i would watch a youtube yeah 
personal account over reading an academic article any day. And so I think that what you're doing is is so important that you've just answered my question. I was going to say what led you to creating the Life Autistic. And I think that that is a, is yeah. a very global message though. The fact that we feel that we have to compartmentalize ourselves based on, you know, who we are with family or who we are with friends or who we are at work. And the fact that you just blown it up and gone, you know what, this is me. It's out there now. Choose to look at it, choose to not look at it, but I know it's out there. It's very liberating, yeah. I think, to take control of that narrative again. It, it is, and I think it it's – I had been worried that it was going to come back to bite mm. me, and I think especially at work, that was the most interesting part to where people would drop like a hint, like, hey – you know, I'd be just losing it over something because I don't, I don't just come out and say, Hey, I'm autistic at my workplace. But you know, I've, you know, I've had people like come up if they, if it's a big social setting, there's a ton of people like they'll say, Hey, are, are you doing okay? I'd be like, yeah, of course. I. No, they're like, no, I read your blog. Are you doing okay? And it's like, right. I'm like, look, yes, I am. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit why. And, you know, so it's almost created a certain, like that kind of advocacy for not just me, but for others to where, whoa, I'm learning about autism and potentially autistic people and I'm adjusting and I'm empathizing and I'm being accommodating whether I know this about them or not. So it's it's been a good grace. It's been really helpful. I don't use it as an excuse, but it's just like if I'm, I think there was one with the project manager, I was really struggling and the guy's like, hey, you know, like, hey man, this it's okay. I, I get it. Like I've, I've followed your blog now and, you know, I, I know that I know this is throwing you for a loop, but, and he explained, you know, like he gave some more context to it. And it's like, if I was just some regular dude, would I have been given the same grace? And then I think, what about those regular mm. dudes, guys, girls, whomever, who may need that kind of grace. And that's like where I feel like, oh my goodness, now people are aware, you know, probably I'll, I'll kind of spirit with this to where the liberating thing isn't, isn't for me. I feel like I, I joke in a very darkly comic sense that my, my ship has sunk. I'm just here to light the way for other boats so they don't sink. And that's not entirely mm. true. But I think like there was some furor over like Saya and her movie music. And there's all there's always some controversy and some silly hot take in autism that I just I'm not here to shout at people and tell them why they should hate things. Mm. My brand of advocacy is when somebody's going in for their first job interview and they use a multi-polysyllabic word and they have trouble making eye contact with their interviewer. Five years ago, they may not have gotten that job. Mm. But let's say that interviewer knows something about neurodivergence. Yep. Maybe by some random chance they've watched my, watched my videos. Yeah. And then they think, hey, you know, instead of dismissing this candidate out of hand, maybe this is a product of autism, neurodivergence, and it's just a difference. They're not necessarily a poor fit for the role. They may be just expressing themselves differently. And instead of tuning them out, I should listen to them more, maybe give them a shot. And then boom, you've got somebody who has got their foot in the door, working toward a career, gets independence. Like that's what I'm trying to work for. Yes. And it's, it ain't popular, but it's going to be profound and it's going to be impactful. And that's, that's where I feel it's liberating. It's not going to be for me. It's going to be for others and those who are affecting others and can really play a hand in elevating other people's lives. Well, you're doing that for me as a teacher. That's the reason I follow you because I'm going to have well, neurodiverse. I mean, I find it interesting too, but at the end of the day, yeah. it's more about what I can do and what I can recognize and what I can support in the students in my classroom because I am 100% going to have 
neurodiverse students who may be diagnosed, may not be diagnosed, and understanding that there are strategies that I can employ to make their life easier and to make our relationship more significant. That's what I'm going to do. And so, I mean, you're doing that for me right now. Well, thanks. I'm 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 honored, <laughs> humble too. Like I, I can well, imagine. Well, the objective like, is being achieved, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, it's uh, it's I. People have told me you're not always going to see the impact, but I think in like what you've relayed, your students definitely feel it. Yeah. They may not get it, but they have a teacher who does. Yeah. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Totally. I want to know what some of your most popular videos have been. And oh, no. why do you think they're so popular? You know, let me let me frame this, that popularity is always a relative construct. <laughs> okay. I, have, I have videos that have been viewed more times relative to others. Okay. And that's due to the fact that they have just been around longer. The YouTube algorithm likes them. But I will answer this. One, there's another prominent YouTuber, Yo Samdi Sam, who's pretty great and highlighted one of my videos about being an autistic parent because that's something i like there are autistic people with children but i i never heard from them i don't you always in america especially autism parent means that you're neurotypical and your child is autistic and when they grow up they're no longer autistic it's just dumb there is not a lot of content about autistic people as parents Mm. like they're the autistic one in the relationship my children are neurotypical as far as i can tell so um, sam actually shouted that out i got a actually pretty it was a good bump and i think it helped propel that for where if you're looking for what it's like as an autistic parent you'll find that my video about do's and don'ts for autism moms was um it's formulaic because autism mom is a commonly searched term people are looking for support Mm-hmm. And then using it as a list format tends to actually benefit because people will watch and see like, what are the 15 do's and don'ts? And then um, my uh, spiel on high functioning autism, like I, I kind of unbox that and give some examples why I just, I just go by autistic, mm-hmm. kind of take the functioning label out of it. Cause I, you know, I could have once been classified as, as high functioning autistic, but there's, there's some challenges because when you find Hunter laying down on his floor catatonic because just my routines of the day were broken and Mm. something hit and I got bad feedback. It's like, wait a minute. I thought he was high functioning autistic. I thought he was, you know, able to do all this stuff. And then today he's just a pile of goo on the floor. I really tried to disabuse others of that notion. And Mm. I remember I recorded that on a very cold winter's day had a Jenga set up. It was, it was quite interesting. So a lot of explainers and perspectives on the autistic experience. um, Those are, those are some of the more, mo- I should say, more viewed videos out of my library at the moment. You also have a section in your repertoire, I suppose, on YouTube around yeah, yeah, around myth busting. Why do you think that's so important yeah. to be doing around autism? Why are there so many myths? Why are there so many misconceptions you think that we need to understand better? Yeah, I I wish it were more like, you know, when you think of autism, it's not like Homeric myth to where you get mythologies of like these legendary heroes. I find that more often than not, the myths and misconceptions are harmful assumptions. Like autistic people Mm -hmm. aren't empathetic. That's patently untrue. That's a future episode that will be out in a few short weeks. But just even the assumption that we lack empathy or that we're less human is problematic and it's dismissive 
or that autistic people are rude or blunt or take things literally or don't understand sarcasm. There's so much negativity and the mythology about autistic people is more about limitation. And, you know, that's mm. just, it's, it's not true. You know, some people are limited. There are some challenges. I may fall into, you know, some, some facts like autistic people aren't good with math. Well, people, some people aren't good with math, period. You know, I just happen to be poor. Yeah, I'm math. not good with math. Yeah. It's like, I, <laughs> I'm autistic and I just happen not to, not to be great with it, you know, but then on the flip side, I think people also have these unfairly lofty expectations. I ran afoul of this as a youth, but Oh, Hunter's autistic. He has an exceptional capacity to remember things. That doesn't mm. always work. I can't, if I'm not interested or if I'm, if it's not like a special interest, my memory may not exactly go autistic and serve a certain purpose. Or, you know, my wife and I joke mm. about this. It's not a joke, but it's like, Hunter, how can you remember an encyclopedic trail of info in this and literally forget what I just said. It's like, well, if it was, <laughs> if you were telling me about a strongman result, I would have told, you know, I would have remembered yeah. like how you relayed the events. Yeah. But no, you asked me to get, I don't know what you asked me to get. Sorry, what? And so even <laughs> those things, it's like, hang on. Like if yeah. we're believing that autistic people are hyper competent in some areas and deficient in others, imagine the burden that it puts on us that I have to justify. Yeah. No, I don't remember everything I hear or read. Yes, I'm empathetic. It's like, why do I, I want to save that experience for others to where, oh, you're autistic. Cool. Rather than like, okay, I'm not going to go in with all these assumptions. I'm just going to learn more about them as a person because their support needs may be different. Their personality may be different. They're just autistic and they're that person. And I think it helps, um, helps take away a lot of the unconscious bias that's been laid in a lot of people and helping surface that so people can check and say, wow, okay, now I know a little bit more about autistic people. I am no longer pre-enlightened. I'm enlightened now and I can operate more graciously and empathetically. Can I ask about the empathy? Because yeah. that is something that comes up all the time. Yeah. All the time. And I have certainly found, I'll say especially girls yep. that are diagnosed later, I would have had no idea and I certainly would never have considered them unempathetic. No. Can you explain that? Because that comes up a lot. Individuals with autism cannot feel empathy. Yeah. Can you dispel that for us, please? <laughs> we we can. And I I'm trying I'm looking on my calendar it or so July the seventh or eighth, usually when I uh when I release those. I but reckon I, it will be out by the time I get this one out. That's good. Go, it'll and, be, go and look uh, at the live autistic on YouTube. Yes, it'll be out, do. I'm sure, by the time I edit this. I But I enjoyed making it because I feel like there's some, I'll just say that we, we can because we're human and we have human feeling. It's not necessarily a capacitive lack. We're not, um, I, in like some, you know, malignant narcissist or others, I can imagine like there's, there's a severe lack of capacity and empathy, but it's not an autistic. It's more of a different way of processing and then relaying and expressing I mean, I'll just give a few quick takes. Yep, Sometimes it's that we don't have a similar relatable experience to which we're looking to empathize. I think one of the examples I use is that I know I'm supposed to fit into your shoes here, but I've never worn these boots before. I'm used to wearing sandals. I'm used to wearing sneakers. So until we found what it's like to go mm. through boots, it can be difficult for us to relay that. Sometimes it's about, I guess, like an autistic mm. need for specificity where, 
you know, you can relay a very general situation where oh, I'm having a hard day. Oh yeah, I can tell. I mean, that, that seems really difficult. Well, I, I can understand the broad context of it, but I've learned to get people mm. to tease out specifics and just like pause and say like a hard day. Yeah. Like how hard, you know, or like usually if you just mirror and just say a hard day, like they want to talk about it and then they start giving you specifics, you know, and you may not relate with stepping in, you know, dog doo-doo or missing something. It's like, okay, I, I've never stepped in yeah. my own, you know, dog's mess, but I have stepped in things untoward. And you're already racing through and thinking like, okay, okay. I can't relate with you on what a bad day feels like because my bad days are different. So as you relay specifics and it's like, oh, and then when you say, yeah, and then my boss told me this and then it's like, boom, oh, I know how that feels. It's like you've got a series of events and it feels like the world's against you. And just when you expect somebody to back you, like there's all kinds of yeah. things to where we look to color this in to make sure that we're, we're doing it right. Like we feel all this stuff. We can sense it. And I think autistic people can. It's just broaching that topic of how do I relay specifically? How yes. do I find a similar experience? How do I process it from the, you know, cognitive and compassionate sense? Yeah. So I think. I think because we're very, we can be very literal, we can be very straightforward and factual and kind of process it logically. Like I have not been in this situation, therefore I don't know what you're dealing with. That may yeah. very well be true. And it may be true of others until you kind of live a little bit. You've got, you know, more experience under your belt that you can like look back on and reflect. So it's just a different, it's a different process. It's a different mm. reflection. I would say in some cases it's deeper because it, you know, we can be very vivid about the experience and understand how it affects yeah. people. It is a good episode. I um, <laughs> encourage watching it because I, you know, there's my on the spot take and then there's the 20 minute take that I, you know, refined mm. a little bit better. I find this so interesting because I follow a woman who has been diagnosed in her 40s with ADHD and it's now coloring her entire life in terms of giving her the why, not the yep. who, as we said. But she makes the comment too that, she was always criticized for making everything about her. So when people would tell her a story or would tell yeah. her about something, she would bring it back to her all the time and people would get really frustrated. They're like, this is not about you. Stop taking the limelight. And she now realizes that that's her cognitive ability to connect. Yeah. And I'm hearing that from you as well. And that's so interesting because I think that there is so much, why do they have to talk about themselves all the time? Why do they, and I'm not talking about, neurodiverse people I'm talking about anybody that brings scenarios back to themselves but that's actually a tactic that people are using to gain empathy and compassion and there's if we see it like that, that yeah it's like there's yeah. a term that I I'm sure there's a technical term but because I'm not a, I don't have a PhD in autism I call mm -hmm. it like the emotional summit point and it's like mm -hmm. I've told people this like hey I'm gonna I get what you're saying I'm gonna meet you at the summit of this but I need to share a little of my story to get there so you get that I get it and they've already told a story and reached the empathetic summit I can't swing from a rope and say hey I've been there maybe I can but for some I, I feel like I have to cross my own or climb up my own little ravine to say you know I had something like this too mm. I kind of know why you're feeling this way you know I'm I'm only sharing this just to show you that I, I get it. I really do. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it really depends on the person, but just getting that again, the more you know about autistic people, the more you realize, Oh, they're just climbing the summit to get where I'm at. Like they get it, but they yes. need to walk up to get there so that I know that they understand rather than just pretend because they may not emote it the same way. So 
yeah, but that's true. That's kind of why like I'm not espousing like, you know, awareness is the end goal, but just taking people from pre-enlightenment to enlightenment. So when somebody does yes. start storytelling and summoning, it's like, oh wait, they're not talking about themselves. They're they're trying to get to where I got to and meet me at yes. that summit. And then boom, we're there and they get it. That's beautiful, Hunter. Your imagery and your metaphors are really clever and very clear. That's where the You're English degree comes in handy. Yeah. <laughs> I try. Like I, I like I'm a simple man and I have to I have to relay it simply. And that's just, you know, that's a good way to it's a good way to teach, I found. You know, when you can make it really relatable. good. Yeah. You're giving me some light bulbs. I love this. Thank you. The other thing you put up, I feel like it might have been on a story or something that made me a little bit sad was yeah. someone wrote you, I was like you were looking at the search criteria or something on how yeah. people find your videos and someone wrote something like, and I'm paraphrasing, will I ever have a job as an autistic person or will I ever be able to get a job as an autistic person? Yeah. So what is, you have a section on work and being mm-hmm. autistic in work. So what are the yeah. big things, big messages that you're trying to convey through that section of your YouTube videos? Yeah. I think it's twofold. Now, one is that, you know, employers, companies, they can understand autistic people better. And it's not about just, mm. you know, putting a vacuum to hoover up autistic people as part of a hiring program, but how do we keep our minds open to talent that we may not see? And mm. if we do bring them on, how do we support them? So part of it's like from the hiring perspective, from the applicant perspective, finding ways to like refine what it is to really tell your story, share your skills to where people will take confidence in you sight unseen. I bizarrely, I have two speaking opportunities for this very topic. And a lot of it is basically going to be predicated on, I want you to get good at telling me about yourself, relaying Mm. you through experience and just practicing this can all be practiced. It is a skill. You're you're nervous and worried because you don't know what to expect. But like, I'm hoping to do like a little activity to where if you do know to what to expect, then it's easy. It's almost like you're mm. going in and you've, you've cheated and you've figured out the answers. How do you do it? Because ultimately the thing that means the most on like a resume or CV in many cases is your name. Do I even yeah. know this person? And the answer is no. And if you do, well, great. That's, you know, that helps. But how do you color in the gaps to where, I want to sell you about me, like, you know, qualifications, experience to where you are answering a lot of the unknowns in the interview. I've interviewed dozens of people before. And that's my goal is if I have to take them on my team, I want to know as much about them and get a perception of what they're going to be like, you know, tomorrow, 90 days, a year, maybe 10 years, will they be my future boss? How much of that can you answer? And then ultimately, like, look, it's no shame, but, you know, can you be likable? Like, you want to like who you work with and how do yeah. you get that across to where you're not just a cookie cutter candidate. So I, I'm excited about that topic and I see like people looking for answers and looking for hope and it's not as mm. binary as people think there's ways to broaden those horizons on both sides, both for the employers and for employees uh, seeking employment. The other thing we were talking about before is parenting and you talk a lot about yeah. parenting and I would think that that's another concern for people Young children are not predictable. They yep. are highly testing. And, yes. you know, again, for those individuals that consider autism needing a schedule and needing stability, which you've already spoken about, as I said, being an army yeah. 
kid. So how are you as a parent? What is something or what are the things that are challenging for you and what are the things that you found easier than maybe you thought you would? As a parent, I I like sharing my parenting experience because there are some ways that I've made it easy. And mm. I think everybody assumes that parenting is impossible and insurmountable and it's just it's just not. I think the biggest thing for me is that I I'm very orderly with my children and children do crave order. Yes, they cry. Yes, they're crazy and they can be testy, but ultimately they have expectations about presence, behavior, order, sequence, cleanliness. And I find that I've been able to lean into some of my compassionate rigidity to help them fall in line and, you know, not fall in line, like, you know, in a really menacing sense, but more just, they know the cadence of the day. They know bedtime is at this hour. We do this sequence here. This is how the day operates. And that's what they, that's what they embrace. I'm extremely blessed because my three daughters are just, they are amazing. And yeah, sometimes they get loud, but I've, I've enjoyed like actively parenting, not just being a parent Mm. because I'm their dad, but parenting and enjoying experiences with them. Thank you so much for all of your insight and your generosity really in the content that you share as i said it's it's giving me so much insight and i'm sure that anybody on the autism spectrum or or with family and friends that are on the autism spectrum would be appreciating it so much so thank you hunter absolutely thanks so much for having me i i really appreciate it